We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together, and we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I'm James Hammond, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Fox 40's Sean Cunningham. Mr. Cunningham, how are you? Mr. Ham, I am present and accounted for this week. Unlike, well, not I guess I got the first part of last week, but yeah, yeah, had a little had a little travel schedule, but back where it's warm in the house, sun is shining even though it's freezing outside. Get that weather in. Good to see you guys. All right, and of course, uh, Brendan Nunez from the Kings Pulse Podcast. Brendan, how are you? I'm doing good. Uh, doing good. I would be a little curious. I know people love when we start with non-basketball related conversations, but I am a little curious about Sean's trip. If we're allowed to start with that. What do you want to talk about? Like the whole thing? Like the, yeah, we, we tried cheesesteaks, um, but we did the touristy cheesesteaks. So uh, I, we did a segment on Fox 40 of us trying Pat's and Gino's cause they literally, they're on these corners and they face each other like Spider-Man pointing at each other with these big kiosks. And Gino's is a little bit more over the top uh, with their kiosk. We started at Pat's, tried that one first, stepped right on this little square where it says Sylvester Stallone stood here while shooting Rocky. And I'm like, the whole time? Just that one spot? But that's where they immortalize it. And then on the other, tried that cheesesteak, ate it, went over to, G- uh, to Gino's, tried that, only ate about half because it was not as good. Pat's was better, but they're both rather overrated. So then all the locals say, don't go to either one. Go to Ishkabibbles or Jim's, which burned down, or Delisandro's, or uh, it's all these. They're all named after men, except for Ishkabibbles and whatever, but like all these just have first names. Um, so we tried that, did all the touristy stuff, like saw the Liberty Bell, went to the Sixers uh, Nuggets game, which was incredible. We can talk about that. What a want. game. Yeah, and I'm not even talking about the NFC Championship because holy cow. Just what a letdown. What happened? I mean, like I was, I was just talking to someone a minute ago. Like I've been, I cover a lot of high school football in this region and you'll face teams that don't have um, kickers. So they always go for two because they have to, they don't have no one to kick the ball. 
that's what it felt like. We don't have a quarterback anymore. Uh, the guy has a torn ligament in his elbow and just can throw for five or ten yards and didn't know it was torn at the time, but knew that he couldn't really – he had pain shooting all the way through his arm from his wrist to his elbow. And uh, all he could do was hand off. And let's be honest, when Josh Johnson got out there, he looked like he shit the bed as well. Two <laughs> delay a game penalties – the former mountain lion fumbles the ball. I mean, it was just nightmare. And then I'm thinking to myself, Kyle Juszczyk is the emergency quarter break, quarterback, break in case of fire, break glass in case of fire, and they never went to him once. In fact, they had Christian McCaffrey throw the ball. Insane. Uh, it's just like the game was completely kaput in that first quarter for the most part. And look, they're professional athletes. They all think that they can go out and win a game no matter what the circumstances are, but you weren't winning that game. Yeah, I didn't think the Niners' defense was great either. Either I thought that they, you know, there was plenty of mistakes that were made in that game. Um, it's just, it was horrible yeah. to watch. It was horrible to watch. I would have hated to be there in person, especially if you're someone who spent thousands of dollars on tickets. I mean, even if you're Eagles fans, I mean, you're just watching this thing and whine like, well, this isn't really fun. Like, this isn't an actual football game. So, yeah, I, I think they need to address quite a few things in the offseason. Um, you know, specifically, like, I don't know how you walk into an NFC championship game with Josh, uh, Johnson as your backup quarterback. And I get it. He's your fourth quarterback at that point in the season, but realistically you had, you had eight weeks to like have someone better. And I don't know that there is a bunch of better players out there that could have helped you. Um, but the other thing is like, you knew Brock Purdy was like, he's a rookie and Josh Johnson's like 35, 36 years old, hasn't played hardly at all. Like, could you have not had a third quarterback on the roster? That mm. seems like it would have been prudent. Just because you knew going in that you already had a young quarterback, you you knew going in that the Eagles' pass rush was incredible and they're going to hammer your quarterback. So, yeah, I, I thought it was like it was just a downer to watch. It was. Well, and now you get the Eagles at the Chiefs with the Chiefs at the – you know, Rihanna concert, which is going to take seven days. So <laughs> the Rihanna uh, concert. And, oh yeah, hey. Oh, you there got we it. Are. Yep, there we are. This is what I was hoping for, but I can move the mic. Well, you might need to stand up so we can see the whole thing. Oh, ah, you got it. That's all it was. <laughs> oh, just a little peek. All right, all right, sweet. Um, okay, uh, Brendan, oh, what did you Brendan, think of the game? Yeah, you asked us. Yeah, I mean, I thought that it was just a super disappointing thing to witness like you realize pretty early on that there's just no chance and that's yeah. so sad um just to experience like it, it just felt like we were robbed of what could have potentially been a good game um i didn't think the defense was great but i've been surprised at how many how much people are on that when when your offense is going three and out that often and you're on the floor on the field that much um and opposing teams getting the ball in in good field position uh, a couple of times like it, it was just a tough thing to witness I will say that next game was great to watch though I, I wish that I was a fan of one of those teams um, because that was a great experience like I've been a uh, admitted Mahomes hater I can't Why? do all the hype I I'm definitely just got super triggered during uh, the Niners playoff run when they went to the Super Bowl against them and when and faced him one time and lost well because I was so annoyed at the commentary of I think that they had um, come back from a deficit in every single game up to that point and huh. everybody the Niners are up what a touchdown or 10 points something like that in that game 
and they were like, Mahomes has him right where he wants him. And it just pissed me off so much. I couldn't do all the commentary around Mahomes. So it's more so less to do with him and however, more so how everybody talks about him. But his performance was phenomenal. I mean, to have that high ankle sprain clearly limping around and then take care of business in, in Burrowhead was that was a great game. It was a good game. So I am an admitted uh, Mahomes, like he's my dude. Our, my fantasy team, me and my son share, is rolling with Mahomes. Um, we've had him as our keeper quarterback uh, since his first year. My son actually decided to choose him. Um, we had, I think, in the first draft, we had taken Matthew Stafford um, early, who was coming off a pretty decent season. And then I'm like, I don't really trust Stafford. We should get a back back quarterback. And we were sitting there in like the seventh or eighth round. And um, Kirk Cousins was still on the board. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, at least he can manage if we need him. And my son goes, well, how about this Mahomes kid? He seems like he there's a lot of buzz about him. And I'm like, all right, well, it's on you. You know, whatever happens, it's on you. I was just messing with him. And uh, he, he got up and drafted him. And uh, like, we've won two championships and lost in one Super Bowl with Mahomes as our quarterback. So so we have Mahomes jerseys because we like to taunt the people that we play against in fantasy football. Uh, I don't have other football jerseys, uh, but, you know, we do have, like, our our championship ring. So this was the original championship ring. <laughs> Ooh, that's some bling. And then our new one. Let's see if I can reach it. The new one spectacular oh it looks even bigger look at that yeah so yeah they these these are a blast we we buy ourselves championship rings um but yes we have we have our hardware you got yeah. more rings than the team you cover uh yeah <laughs> uh true that Jalen Hurts um, was my fantasy quarterback this year and uh to see him i was like you know I agree with you 100%, by the way, Brennan. I mean, the defense was on the field far too long. I mean, obviously, James, you made the you made the mistakes that, that totally cost them uh, reference uh, for sure. But I also thought there were some pretty bad calls, especially that punting, the, the roughing the kicker. Oh, yeah. Blocked into him. It was that one just sent me through the roof. Um, but – yeah, man, like that, that, that you don't have a quarterback, it's not going to matter. And uh, you can't just be a – like the Niners like to run the ball. Both teams do. Not that much. You can't do it every play. And it was just like – it's like taking your taking a guy's leg away and asking him to to, to still win a fight. It's not going to happen. Yeah, it was ugly. Uh, it, it was not fun to watch. Um, I think we can say the same thing about the uh, Sacramento Kings game oh? against the – the the first game on Saturday against the Minnesota Timberwolves, it wasn't fun to watch. They just got uh, they got pummeled early by D'Angelo Russell. They got pummeled late by Anthony Edwards. I, I thought to me it was one of the those games where um, you looked at a team that didn't look like they were prepped and ready to go into a game. And that's not to call out the coaching staff. I just think the team, you know, historically we've seen it plenty of times with the Kings where they they don't show up for a game and that's what that game felt like in, in Minnesota. Uh, before we start breaking down all of the, these two Timberwolves games, let's just get to some of the business. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, we would appreciate a thumbs up and a subscribe. That would help us. Uh, 
if you're listening on where whatever platform you're listening to that you listen to your podcast, uh, first of all, me and Brendan did a podcast on Thursday. For some reason, it didn't go up onto audio platforms until Saturday, even though I was like hounding Podbean nonstop about the issue. Um, and so like our last episode, that should not have happened. Um, I have no idea what happened. We've never had an issue before. And then they act like, oh, sometimes there's delays. It's like there, there's never been a delay where like, you know, 250 plus episodes, uh, 300 and something episodes, including uh, my previous podcast that, that got brought over. But here on the King's Beat, this is our 122nd podcast. And up until 120, we had no problems at all. 121, we have all kinds of mess trying to get it up on uh, onto audio platforms. So sorry about that. I have no idea. It's one of those computer things that or above my pay grade. Um, and then lastly, uh, Thursday. We're not going to have a Thursday podcast um, because we're going to have the Off the Record with the King's Beat Virtual Happy Hour Part 11, The Columnist, with Aileen Voisson. Uh, Aileen, of course, is uh, a incredible storyteller and someone who has been around the game of basketball for, I don't know, 40 years. Um, and it should be a really, really interesting conversation. Um, hopefully Sean can make it because Sean and Aileen have a unique relationship and have known each other forever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I also have uh, known Aileen for well over a decade and uh, she's a trip and she's going to be lively and uh, we, you know, the happy hours are all off the record and we do have a few drinks in us. Uh, and I can only imagine that that one is going to be a wild one. Um, so just a, a heads up to everybody there that I think that that should be fun. So if you want to take part in uh, the happy hour, uh, make sure to jump on board with the King's Beat with a premium subscription. Um, just if you want to try it out, it's gonna, only going to be seven bucks for the first month to try it out. And you'll get like one of the crazy experiences that I think that you're going to find as far as like uh, hearing media members chat in a different way. So um, that's on Thursday from 530 to 7.30. Um, what is that, February 2nd? Uh, but yeah, uh, lots of good things happening. So I don't know. What are you guys' thoughts? Uh, was I too harsh on the Sacramento Kings when talking about the the loss to Minnesota on Saturday? I don't think so. I mean, it was a pretty lackluster effort at first. I mean, I think you heard Coach Brown be pretty disappointed also. Like, sure, D'Lo and Anthony Edwards were just kind of hitting everything that they put up from beyond the arc, but... The coverage was was pretty tough from the Kings. And I think it's night and day, like especially watching that second game, just how clear the lack of effort was in the first because they came out and you could see the effort and um, just kind of imposing your will, making sure you're playing with pace, having good defensive presence and everything. Like you saw it in that second game and it just made it even more clear that it, that was lacking in the first one. I, I thought that you know, offensively, sure, they could have been better. And typically that's where that team is that the Kings have made their money and gotten their wins. But defensively, they they were a total disappointment in that one. Yeah, I didn't get to see much of that first game. So it's probably a good thing. All I know is uh, Nas Reed pretty much had some ownage on the Kings uh, in that first game. And uh, yeah, Ed Anthony Edwards ends up with collective the two games. I mean, it's like he ends up back in the all-star uh, conversation again a little more loudly than people were probably talking about a week ago and even a week before that. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see where when coaches actually casted their ballots as well. 
um, and that could go for deer and fox consideration as well. But kind of bringing it back to those games, um, just reading most and just seeing some highlights, it didn't look like a fun game. It kind of looked uh, from, you know, what I I ended up watching the entire game yesterday uh, after I got off the plane and uh, it was – they look that looked like more of the Sacramento Kings that I remembered before, uh, honestly, before leaving for Philadelphia and before they went on their road trip. And and to be honest, that bench unit probably played its best game in a while collectively, in my estimation. I was trying to think of maybe when that last game where I saw them play such a uh, complete game like that, both offensively and defensively. Um, I mean, Trey Trey Lyles continues to impress. Uh, I think he might have had another of his finest, you know, maybe top two games of the season. Uh, I think Monk had, you know, we've talked about his shooting struggles and his turnover battles and all that, but kind of looked a little bit more like himself. Having Terrence Davis back in the lineup um, was interesting as well. And I know, you know, that was coming off that first game where Mike Brown is talking about so much about possibly shaking things up defensively. Um, team defense doesn't always look great when Terrence Davis is on the floor and he tends to be a little bit better of a one-on-one defender. And uh, I thought, you know, for the most part, that second unit in the second game really held their mud. So in contrasting that to the the first game, uh, that was probably the two things that kind of stood out the most to me. Yeah, I'm going to bring up something with the first game that, to you know, to be honest, it's something that we've seen in the past. But I thought that Fox just kind of like hung out for three quarters and then put his foot down and scored 21 of his 29 in the fourth. Like I kept wondering, like, does he know that we're all watching him play? Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, it's almost like, like, again, I've coached enough sports that you're, you're like looking out on the field and you're waiting for someone who's dogging it to look over at you. Are you saying he was out there picking dandelions for like, I don't know what he was doing. All I know is that the guy that he was guarding put up 23 in the first half and that he was a non-factor, and he started out like 0 for 3 or 0 for 4 from the field and just didn't look like he had the oomph to get them going. And then it's like, hey, look at me. I can throttle up and and blow everybody off the doors when realistically the game's already over. And so I, I was just, I was let down. I was let down by the entire process of him in that game. And and I get it, you know, these guys are tired, they're beat up, they've had, anytime you have a prolonged winning streak, you usually have a letdown of after, uh, for a couple of games, where you're just trying to get your energy back up after expending so much winning, and then having that gut punch when you do lose one, it it's like, we saw it the first time, right? They won seven games, then they lost three, this time they won six games, then they lost one, won one, lost two, so they lost three out of four. And this one, to me, like, I I was disappointed. And, you know, again, he was brilliant in the fourth quarter. But, like, you're so overshadowed at that point by by what's happened with Minnesota. You've already let Anthony Edwards just kind of, like, just dominate you in the second half. And I, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't super jazzed about what I was watching. And then we get to the next game, and it's like, okay, he got the message. Somebody had a conversation with him. How often, guys, was he paired up with with Russell? Because D'Lo is a guy, D'Angelo Russell is a guy who absolutely has torched them. I mean, everyone remembers that, what, 27-point quarter that he had against them uh, a while back. And I felt that was in his mind 
and again, I didn't watch the first game of Minnesota like I wanted to, but the the last the the this last the victory in Minnesota, I felt like he had a different approach for sure. But it seemed like he was taking that personally, like that that matchup uh, to with Russell um, was going to be something that he would take more on himself. I don't know what it looked like more so in that first game, though. Yeah, the first game I remember they ran the highlight package, and I was I was watching the highlight package just to see who was defending Russell on most of his his shots, and it was a bunch of people. You know, they're switching defense. I don't want to blame it all on Fox for sure. Um, there was one or two three point shots, but look, that that's a team thing. Like the guy, it's not just that he started eight of eight from the field. It said he went seven of seven from three, like take the three ball away. I mean, like that's not that difficult. I mean, sure. He's a very, very good shooter, especially when you're pressed up on him, but like, just take it away, trap him, do whatever you got to do, like break his, his rhythm. So he stops launching on you. And that was my bigger disappointment was a lack of adjustment, the lack of energy by a couple of players, but um, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't want I don't want to put all those scoring numbers on Fox at all. I, I think he was okay. I don't think he was great, uh, but certainly there were other people that were uh, that were caught off guard by by the shooting uh, of Russell as well, right, Brennan? Yeah, I think it goes on everyone, but I think it's fair to place a decent bit of it on De'Aaron I mean we've heard coach talk about him being the head of the snake defensively and the one that sets the tone out there and you saw him do just that in that second game he came out and I I thought was playing phenomenally defensively against uh, D'Angelo Russell and they also were defending him a little bit differently started kind of doubling or hedging him there um, to take that away but I I think it does go on everybody but I think it's totally fair to ask more of De'Aaron when he's the star of this team and the point of attack defense and ball pressure is what's going to help motivate or as you see on some nights, maybe other bring your guys down to your same level of poor defense if that's the case. Um, But I think that point of attack defense that starts with De'Aaron is so important for setting the rest of the tone. So it goes on everybody for sure. We're always hearing that, Defense is uh, is a five-man uh, thing that it's never all on one person, but he is able to set the tone, and we saw that that second night in Minnesota. And I guess you could even say the first night, he, he possibly set the tone in, in a way that you don't want to see. Um, so I, I think I love that he responded. I think offensively for those first three quarters, um, kind of saw what you saw, James, but at the same time, like I don't know that that's super rare for De'Aaron to, I mean, maybe, maybe to that extent was much, but usually you see other guys, right? Like I think Harrison Barnes usually has pretty good first quarters and that wasn't quite happening. He ended game one of seven. He did have 10 of 11 from the free throw line, important to acknowledge, but I thought the HB was a little quiet. Like I think offensively, I wasn't too worried about him in those first three quarters, but defensively for sure was. Um, And I feel like we shouldn't just gloss over the 21 points in the fourth quarter because that's, insane to put I I know that it came in a losing effort and that's what really matters at the end here but like again and again he's looking like Jerry West out there and the way that he bounced back it's just settled down the name of the war he's going to at this rate we'll obviously still has to keep up at this rate he's in very serious consideration for that award 
Yes, and I'm good with the award, but but any Jerry West comparisons just you know we need to <laughs> pump the brakes on my guy. The well, I will say, um, uh, it's look, it's just a familiar theme, and we've seen probably less of it this year, which I think is the biggest encouraging sign. Uh, but the biggest criticism of De'Aaron Fox is him keeping his foot on the gas, and this would kind of play into that criticism. But it's been a lot fewer and farther between compared to previous seasons where we've seen long stretches of it. Yeah, I think it's interesting. We have two games, one where he scores 29 and one where he scores 31, 32. I feel so much better about the the second game where he scores 30-something. Yeah. Um, and, and the point differential is so narrow. Uh, it, it's that one game he scored eight points through three quarters and then, you know, or is that what it was? Eight points and then finished with 29, right? So 21 in the fourth. And then the other game, again, he was really good in the fourth, but he had 13 at half. I marked that. Uh, he was active in the third quarter. Uh, he had a big fourth quarter again uh, to help put his team over the top and then the overtime session. And then the other thing, I, like I want to give him props for certain things that I, I see. He has like made concerted efforts to make his teammates better this season. And, like, you see that there are points where the team just hands everything over to him, like, in the fourth quarter. But we keep seeing these moments where, like, what was the game where they lost, uh, the tight game where they lost at home, um, where Keegan Murray hit a three in the corner in, like, the final, like, 20-something seconds of the game where De'Aaron Fox drove in and kicked it to a guy who hadn't been able to hit a shot all night. Was that and, the Sixers game? Yeah, it might have been the Sixers game. I think game. the Sixers one, yeah. Yeah, so like there are these moments where he's finding guys. The, the Trey Lyles stuff in the in the overtime session, um, I, I thought was tremendous. You know, like he found him underneath the basket. Like he he does look for his teammates and looks for him in big moments where he understands that everyone is drawn to him and he's setting them up and letting his his teammates succeed as well. So that's a good thing. It's a good thing to see the growth of him. I just need to see it for the whole game. And I get some some nights you're tired. Um, some nights, you know, whatever the problem is, uh, he's got a lot on his mind. He's got a baby on the way and everything else, but like there, he, the consistency from one quarter to the next needs to kind of level out, not just one game or one week to the next, uh, when it comes to Fox, in, in my opinion. Um, let's, let's get to, uh, the crazy weird stuff that happened with Sabonis. Um, in the, the Minnesota game last night, um, like how strange was that? Like, first of all, it appeared that they threw him out of the game, right? So he gets a technical for screaming, yelling at an official. Um, he was very frustrated and then like he gets ushered up. They go to commercial break with him getting ushered into the locker room by, by team security. Um, then we come back from commercial break, and there he is. Of course, none of us are in Minnesota. Even the one local reporter that is in Minnesota, uh, which is Chris Biederman, uh, tweeted out that Sabonis has been thrown out of the game uh, because that's what it looked like on the court. But what did you guys make of that whole scene? And then I, I guess a bigger question is, did, did you like the officiating in the game because it seemed a little wonky yet again? A little? No, it was really bad. It was really bad, and it reached its peak level at that travel by uh, McDaniel's. Right? Uh, wait, no, who was it? Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're yeah. right. Uh, yeah, just an absolute 
awful call right in front of the official, uh, which was even probably more. Um, yeah, where are the like, thoughts we, and prayers? Like, look, the... we've, we've talked a lot. We've <laughs> talked a nights. lot about officiating this season, and yes. uh, I think we've used terms like egregious and debated whether or not we could use that term. I on think you've used plays. the term direct. Oh, I've used that a lot. Uh, that was about the most insane non-call. Uh, I think it's the worst one of the year. I know there'd probably be Kings fans that would scoff at that, but that to uh. me was just was probably among the I think the worst one of the year. Um, yeah, it just wasn't great. The, to the Sabonis part, I even hit up some people to ask about it that that moment, um, and I, like somebody had like like thought that it was literally i know security was with him they were with him pretty much every step of the way uh it was almost like sabonis took it upon himself to go in the tunnel basically to scream and to let it all out uh or whatever i don't know what it is but punch the um, timberwolves guy the, the yeah mascot. I, I i don't i don't think anybody had to remind him that he wasn't thrown out of the game and and you wouldn't have known that by watching tv uh i even had a buddy of mine who was at the game um as a fan and at no point thought he was ejected from the game. So um, one of those interesting things, I mean, sh- certainly it, uh, he got back out on the floor and fouled out sometime later. But, um, yeah, I, I felt, too, that Sabonis was like a, uh, a DeMarcus Cousins type of boiling pot, even in the first half. Like, I thought it was already percolating, and I thought it was reaching a peak level as they got to halftime. Because uh, he was just uh, he that that moment where they both get hit in the face, him and Gobert, uh, that that was a, a, an odd moment as well. But um, yeah, that was a that was a tough. That one was a clear Sabonis. foul on Sabonis. Like I mean, yeah. right when you saw the replay, you're like, oh look at that, he slapped him right in the face. And the other uh, one too, when he got when he picked up his fifth, I mean, that was two hands on the back. I mean, that's uh, oh, I think that was his that, fifth or the sixth. That was his sixth. His sixth. Sixth one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, his sixth was obvious. Like what what are you doing there? Yeah, Brennan, what it, do you got? It was the two moving screens for me that oh, yeah. I just was uh-huh. not so sure about. Um, those were tough. I mean, but when's the last time we've seen Sabonis get that angry? Like, I definitely thought he got tossed because he's getting held back screaming at the refs. And and obviously it looked like that. Like, you kind of walked through when you see him go into the tunnel. Um, he's been quietly, like, struggling a little bit, I think, for his standards. Um, and that's a very high standards that we hold him to because he's been so phenomenal this year, but for him to have one assist in that game is just not Sabonis. Like I I think we're seeing teams defend him differently. James and I talked about this on the last recording um, and really taking away, trying to force him to be more of a scorer than a playmaker for other players. And I think that obviously that's a huge thing for the Sacramento offense, but um we've still kind of are seeing him adjust more often. I mean, he had great individual post moves against reigning defensive player of the year, who knows how many times over. Um, So he he can still score and get it done there. But I think that we've seen just teams defend him differently and, and kind of waiting to see how, how he adjusts to the adjustments that other teams are throwing his way. Yeah. It didn't help him that the Kings started. What were they? One of 13 from three. Yeah, is that what they were? Was that the first game where they were one of thirteen, or was that last night's game? They both. It was the second game. Okay, it was the second. Yeah, and they they ended up hitting a bunch in the second half, but it was rough. I mean, Kevin Herter had a rough game and and sat for, I I think 
all the fourth and most of the and all the overtime um or at least most of it uh yeah it was it wasn't a like a beautiful game for sure uh but like i think Savonis is is at a point where like his expectations have changed and that's what i think we're seeing a lot of the time he is really really on his teammates and demanding more and and i think that's a good thing it's a sign of leadership uh it's also like like how many times does he have to carry the load and you know we're seeing moments now where other guys can step in and actually play a vital role in what's happening and again he's been really good and i i fully expect without any question him to get the nod on thursday when we find out the nba all-stars um but I, I don't know. What do you guys think? We're we're down to the wire. We might as well address it now. Like, Keegan Murray gets the Rising Stars challenge uh, today. He he will be in the Rising Stars game. Um, Davion Mitchell did not, which to me was not a surprise, um, just because that's kind of the way the season's gone. But uh, do you think the Kings have have two guys at the All Star game? Do you think they have three? What do you think? Definitely not three. Who do you think? Well, three. I mean, oh, with Keegan. Oh, I'm sorry, with Keegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no. Demonis Sabonis is a shoe-in. There, there's yep. no possible way that he is not chosen by coaches. Um, that is the safest bet in the history of the world right now. <laughs> um, as for Fox, uh, you know, I think it could be – I think it could happen. I just – to me, it really depends. I was having a conversation earlier in the day, and I think it really depends on when coaches filled out their, their ballot. Did they wait for – the last minute did they do it weeks ago did they uh, because look you're going to reward success and team success is everything uh, the kings have been at third and held their position for about two and a half weeks i believe it is now and they're three and a half behind memphis they're three and a half separation from 10th and uh you know you're looking at teams like portland and, and okc well obviously shea is a, is going to be an all-star he's having an immaculate season uh, mm-hmm. despite team success Damian Lillard is having a remarkable season as well. He came off just a couple weeks ago scoring 50 whatever the whatever it was and uh I forget how much it was actually, but I mean just over 50 points. Um he's put up some incredible numbers despite that team being outside of the play-in tournament in the standings. So, um I think those are the two and then if, you know, Aaron Gordon's going to get any recognition for being Denver's other all-star, if you will, playing at a career best and playing defense the way he has. I think Markinen's a lock uh, to make it, especially with Utah being the host city. Um, plus him, I mean, he's just been pretty fantastic all year long anyway. So, uh, And then the Clippers have surged up in recent weeks. So I don't know, like I don't think Paul George will be in the conversation. I don't um, think Anthony Edwards is going to be in the conversation. But I, I think Fox is going to be one of those guys on the out, uh, possible outside looking in. But it just depends on when coaches did it because I think if they waited until the last minute and turned it in at the deadline, then it, it, it's a it, it's possible he could make it. But James, you mentioned it the the that if you're if you're a coach and you're watching that uh, that game that first game against against Minnesota and let's say you still have a ballot to fill out, although I do believe the ballots were in before I think that they were game, due I could be wrong. The twenty ninth at midnight. Twenty. So that was was that Saturday. Um, Sunday. Yeah, yeah Sunday. Sunday. So if you're if that's the last game that you have in your mind and you're teetering between some others and you're looking at the way Fox played in that game and they lost, but he did go off and score 21 in the fourth, how do you look at that? Are you looking at it as a positive or negative 
You know what I mean? So I don't know, man. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting. It, to me, it doesn't matter, though. It really doesn't matter if he's there. I know fans really want to see uh, him be an all star. And for whatever reason, they take great pride in that um, to see. I mean, I'm not I don't want that to come off as a negative comment. Like I they put a lot of stock in seeing their their kings um, recognized on that type of stage. And I get it, uh, especially for a, a team that doesn't get a lot of national recognition. I get it. But the fact that he's playing like an all-star at the, the up to the being in that conversation and it's coinciding with team success is all that you want right now. And I think that that speaks louder than than having him be at a silly exhibition game at a time where his babies do. So um, to me, it doesn't matter. But I think Fox for sure. I mean, uh, Domas for sure. That's the safest bet yet. I think De'Aaron hmm. should be there. Um, if I have to guess, I'll say that I think he will be and I, I think it's on the back of I mean obviously his numbers are great the team success he's 24 six and four on 50 percent from the field like he's played phenomenally but I think it's the clutch numbers to me that kind of put him over I think that's his strongest argument um, but it's going to be really close I mean I think that um, I, I do think that Anthony Edwards has a decent case. I, I think that his numbers and his play, especially as of late, to Sean's point, like depends when people are putting in their ballots or when they have filled those out. Um, but I think that Anthony Edwards has been phenomenal lately. Um, there's when it comes to Lillard, like it's it's funny that you get to argue team success in favor of the Kings, but I think that's a pretty big argument. Um, it's definitely going to be right on the edge. I, I think that De'Aaron deserves it. To me, I think the clutch production is what will put him in there. Um, but it, it's going to be right on the edge. And, you know, it has to do with Devin Booker not being available or, in my mind, not being a part of this because he's been out for with an injury. Like, it was always going to take things like that, certain players not being available for De'Aaron to sneak into this conversation. But to Sean's point, um, just oh. him being in this conversation is – is important and like he, he's playing at a level where this is deserved T team success does mean a lot is for De'Aaron Fox because he plays in Sacramento if you're Damian Lillard and you're sixth in scoring averaging over 30 points a game it doesn't mean yeah. as much I mean you're yeah. a superstar hmm. in the league he I mean to, to compare the stars the star level of the two players like who's going to argue that Damian Lillard you could argue that he's come down in recent years as a result of injuries and things like that but coaches know what Damian Lillard is and it took him a while to even crack the all-stars uh I mean it yeah. was him and De'Aaron if you remember it was him and DeMarcus Cousins where it was like those were the two last guys thought of in the Western Conference a lot of times and they had to put up impeccable numbers and then of course he goes on and has postseason success and that's out the window but then he has injuries misses what sits out that whole year basically and um and then here you are so um the resurgence of Portland hasn't been there but he has he's shown he's been back to superstar levels and putting up superstar type numbers. I mean, he's 10th in assists, um, sixth in scoring. De'Aaron statistically isn't anywhere near those. He's not even top 20 in scoring, not top 20 in assists. He's not even, you know, but he is a clutch player and his team is, is third. So, you know, if, if there had to be one, it's Domas, right? But I think there is wiggle room for Fox to get in. I just, I think it depends on when these, Fox, when these coaches um, voted. Okay, so let's play a quick game. Uh, Domas in? Yes, no. In. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. bullshit that he's not starting. Excuse my language. It's total BS. Uh, uh, you do not have to apologize for cursing on this podcast. Lori <laughs> Markin in. In or not? He's in. in. Shay? In. In. 
uh, Damian Lillard. Out. Put a put a put a question mark, an asterisk there. Anthony Davis. In he's he's gonna be in. Okay, so that puts you at four. Who am I missing? Devin Booker, possibly. Well, Booker. Like, right. Booker's played 29 games, and he hasn't played in a long time, and they're bad right. without him. Um, those are the, the – those are the, the see, and I think if it's up to me, like, Lillard, yes, he's an all-star based off the numbers he's put up. I think uh, so, they're too. In the, they're in the Shea category, right? But then you get these guys where it's you, you, it's the teetering. You have, your, you have your locks, and you have the ones where, okay, by virtue of them missing so many games, where are they at? Like, um, you know, you're missing John Morant. Mm-hmm. That's another one that's a shoe in, right? Memphis success. No, uh, Jaw's part of the starters, isn't he? Or start. He's on starter list. I'm sorry. I, meant, yeah, yeah. I said John Moran. I said Desmond Bain. Who, Desmond Bain other, is a guy uh, who missed a lot of a lot of time as well. Sorry, John Moran. Yes, he's a starter. I meant Desmond Bain. Um, he missed a lot of time because, uh, it, but he was top. What was it? Top ten in scoring at one point. I think he was top five in scoring at one point. Um, so he's another guy who's going to be kind of given some consideration based off of Memphis success. Yeah, remind me who the other starter is: Doncic or Curry? Doncic, Curry, both of them, because they put Doncic yep. in the front court. Yep. So then Jaw is not a starter. No. Oh, John, they put Doncic at front court. I see. I see. Right. Yeah, John Curry right. with Doncic at uh, front court with LeBron uh, and and Zion. Zion. Yeah. Oh no. Wait, are we missing someone? Jokic. Jokic. Or, or Jokic. Jokic, not Zion. Yeah. Is it, no Zion is starting. So no, we're we're down a uh, an all star spot. So either Jaw or well, no, the backcourt is is Luca and it is Luca, Steph. Steph, Zion, LeBron, and Jokic. So oh, yeah. Jaw so, Jaw's not a starter. So there you go. Jaw's is a reserve. Okay. So and there's seven reserves, right? Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. There's three front court. Total. Yeah. There's three front court, and then, um, which that could be a problem too. Uh, well, no, because Laurie, Laurie Markkinen is going to be a front court. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, I think it's intriguing. Like, I, I think he's Fox is going to be right there. And, and if nothing else, I also think Fox could be like the first injury replacement. So if Zion or Booker makes it, uh, and can't play that you could see, you know, them go that direction. So, which and, by the way, I'm pretty sure um, that if Zion doesn't play, Domas isn't even the replacement in the starting lineup, right? I think it's Laurie. No, it's up to the coach. Well, the commissioner oh, okay. will choose. By the way, commissioners choose the injury replacement. Yes, so but the Adam coach Silver chooses to, a starter, right? Starter, correct. Yeah, yeah. Who, whoever is it going to be? Michael Malone. Uh, I think it gets decided. Uh, it, what's the separation? Has it, it hasn't been. It look. It's looking that way. Um, I think there was a a possibility that I think it could get announced today because doesn't Memphis play today? Yeah, it's possible. Okay, so it's two games, and uh, Boston. No, Boston's head coach today. was already announced as Eastern Conference starter as an Eastern Conference head coach. Yeah, so we've got Denver uh, is up on Memphis by two games. Um, hmm. that that would be interesting. Uh, Grizzlies play the Blazers on Wednesday, and uh, it, what's the separation there? They should just announce it then, because if Nuggets don't play either of the two days, yeah, it's two games. 
Yeah, there's no way they can catch they can catch them. Nuggets play Pelicans tonight, so technically, I guess if they lose, what's the separation in standings right now? Two, two games, two and a half. Or I'm sorry, that was Eastern. That was uh, it's two. Yeah, two. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, like, look, I I think it's interesting. Are you guys at all uh, shocked that Davion didn't make it? Rising no. Stars. Not really. Nope. No. And that's um, based on just the role he's playing. It's a different. It's you know different type of role he's not playing as much as he did um the minutes that he had in previous season and uh look the the, the you had a bigger pool of that year's rookies uh you're only going to get the cream of the crop from you know that that rookie class now sophomores so yeah he's not part of that yet yeah it, uh, he had the one game where he busted out for like 19 points but then since then we've kind of seen a lot of the same stuff like his last couple of games i think have been like on the offensive end, they're pretty frustration frustrating to watch. Like yeah. he's just he's just dribbling and dribbling, and you're like, that's not what the plan is. So it's very strange to see one player kind of freelancing and trying to do their thing. Um, but you know, it is what it is. Um, okay, so can I ask you guys a question? Yeah, what did you think of the Chenazi Metu moment last night? Um, where coach got on him about a defensive possession. I think it was an offensive rebound and Mezzi kind of barked back a little bit saying that he was getting back screened and then they rewatched the play in the huddle and Mezzi didn't look all, all too happy, but I'm, you know, heat of the moment, but I'm just curious what your guys' reaction is seeing that. Go ahead, James. Yeah. I watched the play and I, w I wondered why Mezzi didn't go for the rebound. Like it, it was a very, he, they had position, and then they didn't go get the ball. And so I, I think that that's where I would come down to. Like, he can be frustrated all he wants, but at the end of the day, like, he, he has to be cautious because he's, you know, he's the guy on the edge of of the rotation. He's not someone who's secured in the rotation at all. And, you know, like, you got to go in there and do your job. And that was a blatant miss. The Kings had three guys and one Timberwolf snuck in. It was Nas Reed, right? Um, I, I think Monk was down there and sort of screening Mezzi's guy, and then Mezzi didn't go get the rebound. That's that's what kind I, of the way I saw it. The, the other thing, I actually didn't see it from the rebound standpoint. I actually thought it had more to do with the way Mezzi reacted to the, the, the pick because the way they defended the play got kind of uh, kind of disjointed. And I thought that's what actually drew the ire of Mike Brown. But initially when I saw it, I will say this. I think that that's what coaching looks like for one, the, the way mm -hmm. the player reacted to it um, may not have been great, but it, I think that the coaching staff heard him out and guess what? He was right back out on the floor. So I think a lot of times what I've liked in those moments, even when it's involved Terrence Davis or Domas or when, when Mike Brown has pulled out different guys for different reasons and even seeing the way they've reacted to him, certainly you don't always see a player react to the coach that way. But the message was at least received and heard, and Mike Brown usually goes right back to him rather quickly. And in somebody case like Terrence Davis, he's able to to, to show that he heard the coach and 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 make it make amends on the other end. So um, yeah, I liked it. I like that he I like that he rolled with it. Um, it Mezzi's a competitive dude, you know. He's it's it's funny for a guy who doesn't get in. Um, even last year when he doesn't get in the games a lot or uh, has his minutes and he has to be super impactful right away or uh, and make an impact right away, 
he's a guy who's a little hot headed and can certainly is capable of popping off and grabbing these technicals uh, as he's as he's been known to do. So uh, I think that's just the, his makeup, and I don't think that anybody reacted in the coaching staff at a shocked or negative or defensive type of way. I think they know what type of player Mezzi is, and I'm glad that they rolled with him. Yeah, like that is coaching. I I like how Sean put that. That's coaching. You're watching someone getting coached, and if he doesn't like it, that's okay. Be, be better, right? Right. And and while you know they did go back to him and they let him play through some of that stuff, they also in the overtime session went with Trey Lyles as a backup center position and went small, and won the game because of it. And mm-hmm. so, like, look, Mike Brown isn't afraid to make, you know, to make some some changes and tweak things and and go a little sideways on you. Um, I, you know, even like, uh, was it the first game against Minnesota where they put KZ in and it was like, it was a, watching a train wreck in slow motion. Um, and I felt bad for Chemezi because like fans react to him so strangely because most of the time it's like, Hey, why aren't you putting K- KZ in? Um, and then all of a sudden he, he gets a ball on the perimeter for a wide open three and he won't take it. Then he runs baseline and goes for a floater, which I think he missed by three feet. And then the next time down, he got the same opportunity and he shot it and missed. And then it was like, oh my gosh, like, okay, look, look, he's 0 for 1 from 3. Like, everyone cool down for a minute. He's only playing like four minutes. It didn't go well, but he's still a good defender and he can help you. And then I'm I'm looking at some of the names that are out there that the Kings could be going and like chasing and free in at the deadline and they're a lot like Chemezi. I mean, they're a lot like Casey Akpala, just maybe they've played a little bit more. That's about it. And that's kind of like what you're, you're seeing from some, some of the, the guys that they're talking about. And so like, look, I think they could upgrade there, but it's one of those weird things where I, I think the question you initially had was about Chemezi and like that whole situation. But like, I think a lot of the players on this team, kind of fall in the same boat, just like Terrence Davis does. You know, we watched Terrence Davis go from, like, out of the rotation to all of a sudden he's playing, and he had some big moments. He did. Yeah. And I think, you know, even back to Mezzi for a second, I think it just bears repeating, like, whatever Mezzi said to the coaching staff, like, they they accepted it. You know what I mean? They didn't meet it with resistance. They, for all we know, Mezzi proved them wrong. You know, I, we weren't right. there to be able to ask Mezzi or Coach the question about that moment, but – um you know, I, I think they were receptive to what he fired back at them. You know, they didn't meet it with any sort of resistance. So, uh, again, I, I like heat of the moment, like things like that, especially when they come to an ultimate, uh, good, a good ending. And by the way, you mentioned, I I know we haven't gotten there yet. I think it's probably coming up, but that overtime period, um, was really impressive to see. And what I liked from it so much was how, on the offensive end, especially when you're going up against somebody like Gobert, it seemed for a greater part of that game, and and it could have had to, it could have had to do with the way the team started. The Kings, that is, started from the perimeter. Uh, James, you mentioned the the rough shooting that they were at one point, but in in that in that overtime period, they did not respect the Kings from the perimeter at all. You get someone like Trey who hits the the three pointer. Lyles leaves them out there to to hit that corner three. I think it was Keegan who hit it one another three. And then Lyles gets another opportunity to which Gobert has to now go out there and step out to the perimeter, and he blows right by him for the dunk. Just a really impressive uh, 
response by the Kings in the overtime. And I thought it was set up beautifully by Mike Brown and, and that staff because I, I kept seeing that they were leaving they were leaving shooters on the perimeter for a good portion of that game. Trey was amazing. I think the Kings made yeah. seven threes coming into the the fourth quarter. Um, seven of 27 in regulation, I mean, and then going into overtime, I should have said. And then they knocked down those two quick ones that were huge. Um, Trey also right before that and one dunk blowing past Gobert um, in a way at an offensive rebound or got them another possession by fighting for a board and drawing a loose ball foul. Um, he, he was just so good. And not only to do what he was doing offensively, but he's tasked with Gobert on the other end. And I know they're switching everything. Like we've said before, defense is five men uh, out there, but I think that like you didn't notice that mismatch in the way that I think maybe you would think that you would when we're talking about Lyles on Gobert. So he, he was great on both ends. I think, you know, there's, there's something to him at the, at the five. I, I think that like you're searching for backup five, I don't mind trying Trey Lyles a little bit more. Um, Chris Biederman has been telling me that he thinks that's the way to go, and uh, let me <laughs> let me know about it last night a little bit. Um, but but Trey was great, and I, I think playing with that a little bit more could be interesting. Yeah, I mean Trey has played a lot of five in his career. I mean he talked about he played most of the time uh, last season in Detroit at the five, and so he has played plenty of it. He's a big, thick, like big body guy. So even though he's lost weight, he still put a little bit of that back on during the season. And uh, like I think the, the best thing to do is to, to play your eight or nine best players, and Trey certainly fits into that. And it doesn't matter where you're playing him. You just got to get him minutes. Um, and, you know, I think some people could say, you know, the same thing about, like, Terrence Davis in the past has been so effective for this team. And, like, why isn't he in there? It's like, well, because you have to make choices. It's... Do I put Trey Lyles, who goes off for eight points in the overtime session, and literally wins a game for you? Uh, and by my count, that's probably like six games a season where the Kings would not have won if it wasn't for Trey Lyles. Um, like legitimately, six games. And I, I don't think anyone else off the bench you can say that about. Even even Malik Monk. I don't know that there's six games that he's been that good where he meant the difference between you winning and losing a game. And I just think Trey's been really, really spectacular. And when the Kings are assessing what they're doing at the trade deadline, they do have to consider, like, is Trey going to be part of this this picture next year, the year after? Um, he is on the final year of his deal. But, like, I'm not saying you don't make a move because you have Trey Lyles, but I'm also saying, like, you don't have to make a move because you do have Trey Lyles. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think him emerging as a like staple in the rotation is is important for this team. You know, having getting to nine guys is big, and and they're trying to go back to Terrence Davis a little bit recently. He had some good minutes in that second game against Minnesota, but um, depth is is obviously important, and the bench production is kind of waivers for this team. But getting what you did last night is uh, was was pretty essential. That might have been Trey's second best game of the season. First, where do you guys rank that? Uh, he had twenty four a couple of days earlier and won yeah. it and helped win a game for you. He had but, what a fifteen and six fourth quarter against Houston. Right, but yeah, I'm saying like again, like even defensively, he's going. Up, I mean, he's so undersized going up against Gobert. Um, 
I think he had the, I think you know, like that whole second unit was, was pretty much popping. I thought pretty well. Um, I don't know. I, I think I put it up there. I think it's probably top two. Uh, I think I, I really like the way I, he's, just, and maybe it's just peaking at the right time for him too, because he's had, he's put together like over a month's worth of really impressive uh, contribution from the bench. Yeah. I mean, I think he's been really good. You're right. He, Brennan, he did have 20 against Houston. Um, he had a big early in the season. He had 16 against Cleveland and in a win. Um, yeah, he, he's come through. There's even one game where he, like he grabbed a bunch of rebounds. Uh, there's a loss to Denver where he had 10 boards, but you know, like I just think he's one of those players who's really, really smart and, you know, he doesn't make a bunch of mistakes and every once in a while, you know, he misses a few too many shots, but you're even then you're like, well, I thought most of them were going in anyways. Um, okay. Let's get to, uh, the business of basketball. Um, I don't say that with the same luster I used to. I need to, I need to figure that out. You're bored with it. (laughs) No, I'm not, but sometimes we do have to fit it in. And I, I kind of, I want to take two, two things here. Um, number one, just like pull the audience. The Kings are one and one on the seven game trip. We're looking at San Antonio, Indiana, uh, New Orleans, and Houston twice. What do you think they finish the trip at? Well, I haven't thought that far ahead yet in terms of what the trip maybe could or should look like, but you're, you're right, James. These are not good teams. And you look at the Pelicans, they've lost nine of 10. They uh, lost eight in a row. Did they win last night? Eight in a row and nine of ten. Yeah, it's eight in a row and nine of ten. And all these teams are, with the exception of like the Pacers, like they're, they're just not good. So um, well, the Pacers aren't good either. They've lost ten out of eleven without uh, Tyrese. Correct, correct. But but they could have Tyrese back at that game. Um, I I think like, you know, these are two. I like I'm looking at that Pacers game first game back for Sabonis right to Indiana. Um, mm-hmm. as a, that he'll be playing because obviously he went back last year and wasn't playing, but or actually he didn't because he was suspended, he was uh hurt, he had the injury, he didn't make it back. Hmm. So, this will be the first time he's made it back, and that'll there'll be some emotions there. But, um, I don't know, it's got to be a winning record for sure. And I think it's a good opportunity to build more equity in that in that uh record because now being seven games over 500, man, can you imagine if they could come back three games over 500 or I mean, sorry, 10 games over 500, nine games over 500? Be pretty impressive. Yeah, Brennan. I, I, they got to win a lot to get to. I, I think they'd have to have to go f- well five and uh, four and one in their last. Yeah, they'd have to go four and one in the last se- in the last four of this. Oh, that's only six. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they can come back ten games over. No, I think they no, can they come back nine they'd or have eleven. To win them all. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, no, no. They don't have to win them all to come back over 10, uh, 10 games over because they have five games left on the trip. So if they're seven games over, that put them at 12. So if they went four and one, that would put them at 10 games over. 10. Yeah. Okay. We're back. The math is We're not good at math. We're not good yeah. at math, especially me. I usually am. Nine the games, math though, wasn't hey, go, working there. Go, if you can go five, right? Hmm. I don't know. So, so what are you guys thinking? Five and two on the trip? Uh, six and three on the trip. I'm uh, not six and three. Six. Well, six and one. They could still go six and one. They could go five and two. Uh, four and three is kind of like the minimum that you'd hope, right? Coming into the trip. Right. 
for sure. Any anything less than that is a disappointment. I think four and three is realistic. It's it's still a road trip. I know New Orleans is struggling. That's still a talented team. Um, there's that first Houston game is the second night of a back-to-back. I know New Orleans to Houston isn't a crazy trip or anything, and Houston is a horrible team. Uh, but, you know, it it's tough on the road. Like, I think you're just happy with over 500 on the road. Um, four and three would be my my guess, although I would really like to see a five and two. If you could win um, five of these next six games, it, it doesn't feel like a crazy ask considering competition level. And I, I think it's fair to ask more of this team based on what we've seen so far, you know, that they have a little bit of wiggle room with this, with this third seed in the Western Conference, but solidifying yourself even more is important because, um, you know, there's sure two games between them and fourth, but at the same time, uh, what is this, three and a half games between them and 10th? So I think solidifying yourself even more so is is obviously important. And that Spurs, okay. that Spurs team has lost nine of 10, six straight, and they're next. And then after that is Indiana, who's lost, I think it's 10 of 11. And then after that, it's the Pelicans who have lost eight in a row as of right now. Yeah. And then after that, it's the worst team in basketball for two. Yes. They, they've lost to some pretty bad teams, though. The Charlotte game was horrible. The Washington game was horrible. Like, they've, you know, there's been some games this year. They've lost to they've Eastern also Conference been... bad teams, which is different. I was also having a conversation uh, yesterday about just how the luck of health that they've had. And I don't want to jinx anything, but I had to illustrate to a person that um, that they've been lucky to be healthy, but they've also got two dudes playing with essentially the same injury with banged up hands and Sabonis and Murray. So, um, yeah, just just uh, kind of blessed overall with the with the health department. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, let's get to the second part of the I, business in basketball. Go ahead. Real quick, I do think this is Sabonis' first time back in Indiana. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, think he played yeah. last year, so that, that'll, that'll be a fun him. one to see how he is there. I just said that. He did. Oh, he, he, okay. <laughs> he wrote it on the paper. Car ramrod. I might have been looking things up. He, does, he has he, no idea what that is. He doesn't know. Can I get a liter of cola, Brendan? <laughs> Super troopers. Super true. But no, no, you're right though. And I, <laughs> I, I don't think honestly, I don't think that we should be talking more about that because I think they probably will be in Indiana. But sometimes when guys have their first game back, that doesn't always go great. So they need to probably have that game marked as a game that possibly Sabonis won't play so well. Hmm. How do you how do you go in there uh, knowing that he might not play well? Uh, okay, let's get to uh, let's get to the other thing that like we got the trade deadline and like nine days right today's the 31st so was it next thursday is what we're looking at um what what are we expecting um we keep hearing like little murmurs of little stuff like there's a a matisse thibel rumor uh that went out yesterday um someone asked me uh again this is like fan stuff uh but uh that someone had heard that there was a uh, a possibility that the Kings might get in on the Jay Crowder trade with Milwaukee, but not for Jay Crowder, uh, that they would take back Jordan Nawara in that deal and maybe give up a second round pick or something. Um, we've heard other names, uh, like I, I think a couple of us, like there are guys out there that all kind of fit this same exact mold. It, it, does that kind of, 
makes sense. Matisse Thibault, like, right? Yeah, Nora. Uh, Nora has that Nigerian national team connection. Yeah, yep. yeah, and and but it looks like the Kings are basically looking for like a more experienced version of KZ Akpala. Does that make sense? I think Thibel yeah. fits that. I don't know about Nuora. Um I think Thibel is notably better than KZ. I, I think defensively, Thibel is... I don't know if he's made a team, but I think he's been in conversations for all defense. Like I, I think he's genuinely phenomenal on the defensive end. He's he's one of the better guys at deflections. I think getting through screens and like he's so good at like uh, rear view contesting. Like I, I think he's so good defensively that if that shot is falling on a given night, that he could be in closing lineups. You know, like I, I think that he has experience that KZ doesn't have. Um, he doesn't quite fit into Sacramento's four point oh two million dollar trade exception. Uh, barely nope. does not, but you know, there's there's ways to make that salary work with uh, Alex Len or Terrence Davis or the two that stand out to me. Um, I, I really like Thibel. I, I think Thibel fits kind of what you were just saying there, like a better, more experienced KZ. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, he's a he's a bona fide rotational player, and KZ Akpal is a fringe player on most teams. Uh, if, if or maybe not a player at all on most teams, probably a fringe player, NBA wise on some teams. And uh, I, I I've been a big fan of him. I I thought I think the most disappointing thing with him is I thought he would get better offensively uh, to show that he could even be serviceable on that end. And it's really not there. Like he in in a lot of ways he's regressed. Um, he's averaging two point seven points per game. Yeah, not even scoring though. I mean, like, can yeah. you can you can you move the ball? Can you can you be an offensive rebounding force? Can you uh, can you bring your shooting percentage up just a little bit? Um, it, it's it's not like you look at Ben Simmons, right? And Ben Simmons, who, when right, is a uh, you know an elite ball movement playmaker type of player. Uh, can you get some of that? Because <laughs> you don't have any of it. Uh, but he is, and it's crazy because he's such a bright, intelligent player. He's one of my favorite personalities in the league. I used to love his bubble podcast that he would do the video stuff that he would do. Um, yeah, man, he's a, he's a, he's a guy that I think if he came to Sacramento, he'd be one of the most infectious personalities on a team that has a few infectious personalities already. I think fans would really, really like him from that standpoint. And defensively he's, he's stellar. Uh, I think he's better than Casey Akpala overall. Uh, and I think he's better than a better defender than Casey Akpala as well. So, I'd be all for it. Um, so yeah, it's a good. It's a guy that would be uh, fun to see in a Kings uniform. Yeah, Australian he's... connection with Delhi. Well, there I'll you go. Think about that. He was a two-time uh, second-team All def- All NBA defender. Um, but again, like like what Sean said, like the regression, and it's not just that he's. You're right. He's not just. No. It's not just that he doesn't score. I mean, he's shooting thirty-three point three percent from three this season. But he's also only playing twelve minutes a game. He's almost out of the rotation, right. um, and, and, and they're, they're all wide open. Yeah, yeah. Well, that it. But he's a horrible, horrible rebounder. Like, right. and he's not a passer at all. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's so limited in what he does that you have to wonder: Does it work in Sacramento? Does it work when you need the spacing for all these guys? And and I'm not sure. Uh, you know, it's something that they'll they'll have to look long and hard at. But you also have to pay him. That's the other problem, and he's a restricted free agent at the end of the season, and who knows what he's going to make 
I mean, it's kind of like a toss-up, right? So I think the Kings are in an interesting position because everything that I keep hearing from them is that, like, yeah, they, they're not going to make a move just to make a move. They They do understand that they have holes, but they also need to make moves that have, like, long-term viability financially. So what you don't want to do is get into the situation like the Atlanta Hawks where they ended up signing all these guys because they had cap space, but the cap space was so short-lived because then you had players going into extensions and going from, you know, like Trey Young making $8 million a year to making $28 million a year and not having the money to to be viable once all of the all the contracts kicked in. And the Kings have to be concerned because Sabonis is playing so well that he's looking more and more like a supermax player and someone who could make upwards of like high 30s or 40 million dollars a year uh you already have fox it's you know a, a full max player making 32 million dollars uh 34 million dollars 36 million dollars over the next couple of years so how do you manage your your roster uh make moves that make sense for you today and not disrupt unity but also for the next five years, uh, because you don't want to just make the playoffs once and be done. Um, so like, this is a complex puzzle that Monty and Wes are working with. And so I think it's interesting that we're seeing a bunch of players that, you know, that are mentioned that are, are upgrades, but are they tremendous upgrades? Can they change the course of the season? Can they tighten things up? Uh, you know, can they make Mike Brown's defense actually work? And I don't know, like, I don't know if any of the players that we're hearing, can actually play honest good to goodness minutes for the Sacramento Kings. They're not players that would step on the court and instantly get 20 to 25 minutes a night and be able to make a huge impact, at least some of the names that we're hearing so far. And I think that's fine. Like, you're the third seed. I, I think that if you're able to, if they made no moves, I honestly wouldn't have an issue with it. I, I think then you're talking about buyout uh, market, which you know, quietly, I think the Kings could look a little bit enticing to certain guys, depending on what names. I, I don't, I have no clue, honestly, what names could eventually be available there um, as of right now. But I think that if they didn't make any moves, I would understand. Like, you're the three seed right now. I, I think you're playing great basketball. Sure, you want to be able to capitalize on that, but you don't want to. It, it's just tricky to tell. Like James is saying, you don't want to mess with what you have going right now that clearly is a good thing. Um, I think that $4 million TPE stands out a lot to me. Um, I'm going to have to do more research on guys that will fit into that. But I, I really think that when you're talking about like Alex Len, Terrence Davis, Rashawn Holmes, and I think they have nine different second round picks to work with that, like you only can get so much. Ideally, if you can add another guy that is a part of the rotation coming off the bench, that'd be a great get for those pieces that I mentioned. Um, but I wouldn't hate if they did nothing. Hmm. Sean? Yeah, I don't think they're going to feel like they've got a gun to their head. They're third in the West, and you've been able to sustain uh, success. And it looks like, you know, while I wouldn't bet they stay third or go higher, I don't think they're – I've mentioned it before. I don't think they're going to fall out of that. Um, they've shown the ability to kind of hold and sustain. I don't think they're going to fall, you know, past seven. Um, you know, hopefully they can keep above the play-in tournament. Um and that's barring any kind of major, major setback from, you know, they've had the, the, the luxury of health on their side. So um, as long as things don't take a turn in that regard, I think they can kind of hold their positioning above the seventh seed. Uh, I, 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 
I would like. I, I think they're going to be very aggressive, though. I think they will go out and try to find something that they need. Uh, my thing is, and it's kind of hasn't changed much. I I wondered it uh, a month ago if I would think differently than I do going into the trade deadline a month ago, and I haven't. Like I I feel like they've identified what they want. I just don't know that they have enough to get what they ultimately want, and um, I think that's what's going to be because really every, with the with with the playing tournament being what it is you just don't really have a lot of sellers like everyone is trying to buy and you look at a team like toronto and we keep talking about toronto because they've got a lot of pieces that are so vastly um probably overvalued to be honest by a lot of teams that would love to have some of those pieces pascal uh, ananobi and and van vliet kind of just uh, rise to the surface there and and there might be teams out there that are over uh valuing what those guys could potentially bring to their roster and i think it all trickles back to the trade with with uh, minnesota made for gobert out of utah and 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 what they gave up uh to land somebody like him because i don't think people i don't think there's gonna be a lot of desperate teams and the kings will not be operating out of a turn out of a desperation going into the trade deadline because they can not make a move and still probably be okay and then there's a lot of teams that have to take a look a long look in the mirror I think the Kings won't take as long of a look, but there's a lot of them. They're going to say, do we need to be buyers? Do we need to be where we are? Uh, should we be sellers? Meaning that, you know, there's only probably two games that separate a lot of these teams from being outside the play in tournament. And even if you go out and buy something, is it really going to help you all that much? Um, and that's ultimately where, you know, I kind of poke fun at the Miles Plumley situation where it's like, yeah, he, he kind of addresses a need. But should you do that move? Like, is it really going to equate anything into wins and losses? Is it really going to be a move that kind of puts you over the top? And I'm not picking on Miles I'm because I like Miles Plumlee. I'm just saying I'm picking on a lot of those players that we talk about that, okay, well, what's that really look like in the wins-loss column? Can that really help you win a series? Because I always say – I've said from the get-go, you know, whatever happens in a, in a, in a one-game tournament, that it is what it is. But I feel like Sacramento, just the way they're built and the way they play – could could probably be a tough out in a series. I really do. Even for a team that doesn't really have a lot of experience. You're so disrespectful. You called him Miles and not Mason. Put Excuse some me, Mason on the Plum Dog yeah. Millionaire. Come on, man, go Duke. I, hey, yeah, I, I, I got to be honest, man. I, like if they can get if they can get Plumlee for a second round pick and salary dumps, I, I think that that's a move that cements you as a better team. Like it yeah, might I just, not. I don't see Charlotte doing that. I. I they maybe, but I just don't see Charlotte wanting to do that. He's an unrestricted free agent and 32 years old at the end of the season. There's talk that they might even buy him out if, if he's not that. traded. Yeah, I don't think so either, especially the way he's playing. But, like, they have no chance. And so, like, would they take something for nothing? And then they could always try to go back and retain him. Like, if I'm the Kings, I'm knocking on that door pretty hard and saying, like, look. Like, what can, what can we work out here? And then on top of that, like, if they go out and get one of these other young athletic six foot six, six foot seven, six foot eight, three, four combo guys that can play defense and maybe hit a three and, you know, are, are sort of fringe rotation, but might work in your rotation. Like, I'm down for that. Like, if there's if there's a secondary move like that makes sense, because it's either that or like, like, do we even dare? Like, what is your dream scenario? What's the big move that like I I certainly if I'm the Kings I'm I'm not really considering uh, John Collins. Uh, it looks like Markinen is off the table. Um, 
you know, like what is it that you would, what's a p- perfect fit to make this team better for this year and years to come? Is it OG Ananobi knowing that you're going to have to give up like two or three first round picks and even that might not be enough? It's I don't Pascal know. Pascal Siakam. They just don't have enough for him. You still think Pascal's the guy? I, I To me, it's the guy that, I mean, him, Paul George, I think there's guys that I can identify as being fantastic in a King's uniform alongside uh, a Ferrari like De'Aaron Fox and a brilliant playmaker like uh, Damana Savonis and a double-double machine and, and and somebody who, you know, whether it's Harrison Barnes or Keegan Murray, whatever, but you're not getting Pascal Siakam without moving Keegan Murray and likely another pick. I mean, it's just it's going to be take a boatload to get somebody like him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, could it be a smaller move that, I mean, bigger than what we'd been talking about previously, but smaller than like a Siakam, like a Alex Caruso, you know, like I, maybe you'd prefer a forward or or wing for this team, but something along those lines, you know, and I, I look at like the Derek White deal that was Josh Richardson, Romeo Langford, and Boston's 2022 first round pick is like a comparable package, like Caruso's one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. I think obviously this team could use something like that. Like, I think that, you know, just, just something to consider. I think it's tough, obviously, with their first round pick situation. Are you willing to put a 28-29 first on the table and limited protections? Like, that's very far out. Is Chicago have interest in that? Like, you can't I, even I think put there's limited middle protections, rooms. though. That I mean, that's on the twenty nine, right? Yeah, yeah. You can't have the twenty nine can't be protected because you can't trade your twenty twenty. I mean, twenty thirty. Which is fine too, by the way. Because no, wild, I'm we're talking about twenty thirty. We're talking about twenty. We are twenty thirty, man. Uh, no, I'm <laughs> and as you know, James, I'm anti protections. I don't like the handlebars of just let it go. You know, just do it. it. You know, top top three maybe, but why do what are you doing? Just just kick, knock it off, right? Just cut it out. <laughs> Go ahead, Brendan. Sean is anti-protection. I am. I don't like it. It's just, like, <laughs> it if, I will say, if if it, if it's, <laughs> I just got that. That's very funny. Sean has littered the world with small Sean's that he doesn't know. <laughs> Not that I know of. Not, Not that, that I know, I know of. of. Uh, brilliant. Jesus, man. Well, yeah. That's great. We got a guys, uh, we got an Can I give you a name? Guy. Can yeah, I give let's... you a name that I've heard recently that? Uh, uh, you actually, the Kings actually get to play in the very next game. Yep. Just a name that's popped up, Josh Richardson. Yes, he, I, he's a perfect fit. He's a guy that steps in and actually helps you. He's a good age. What is he, 29? Final year of a deal, I believe. I'm just throwing stuff out there that I think it's, and not sure it's on. It's the $12 million salary <laughs> he's for me. He's a hell of a guy. I don't know. It, it, <laughs> I've never met him, but I, I swear he's a great <laughs> dude. No. No, I, I like the three and D potential. I think he's the right type of guy. It's the twelve million salary for me that's kind of interesting and makes it a little tough. Like, is that Rashawn Holmes that we're talking about? You know, like, or are you putting three people out in exchange? Like, I think that twelve million salary is a little tough for the Kings unless we're talking Rashawn Holmes. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you can, I, I don't think they'll take oh, Rashawn well, Holmes' salary. I, yeah, he makes I think actually million, San Antonio has cap space as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. So they might want to kill cap space over the next couple of years while they rebuild. So they might be willing to take on homes, but you're going to have to give yeah. up a couple of seconds and stuff. So I like Josh yeah. Richards. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I like him. I, you know, there's a, a couple of guys that, uh, that we keep hearing like kind of tossed out there. Um, yeah, McDermott on the same team, kind of interesting. 
played with Sabonis before. I think if you go in that, I, I I need that guy to be a rim protector. Like I think, I think Trey Lyles has shown enough to, to, to basically be a little bit of that role. I like, I like the stretch four. don't get me wrong, but I feel like if you're going big, make it a rim protector. What about the guy that you and I have heard like murmurs here and there about, are we going to say that name or no? Darius Baisley. Yeah. Cause I, I've heard the same thing. Um, Look, he's he's interesting. It's just you know he hasn't played a whole hell of a lot. So this this I don't know that he I don't know that it's something that totally helps you out this year. But it's something that you might have an inkling on a guy and how he maybe plays for the future a little bit. I don't know. Um, I, I think the interesting thing with it's a name Sean, it's a name I've heard. It's just a not really a um, move the needle name, right? Yeah, yeah. But, I, I mean, first of all, he came into Sacramento a couple of times and beat up the Kings, which that doesn't take much. He's fallen out of the rotation right now. Well, not out of the rotation, but he, he's not playing a lot. We're talking about a 22-year-old dude who, um, like, last season, 10.8, 6.3 rebounds, a block a game. Um, no, he rebounds very well. Yeah, his three-point numbers are a little sketch. The, his second year in the league, 13.7 points, 7.2 rebounds, uh, 1.8 assists, and he actually averaged 0.5 blocks per game, so not great. But uh, long, athletic, one of those wingspan guys that my, my problem is anytime you're dealing with OKC, you're dealing with dudes who have got to do whatever they want on the court for a couple of years because nobody cares whether they win or lose. And those aren't the guys. Like where you know Josh, Josh Richardson has played for winners, and he's been in pressure situations and he's been there before. Um, he's also coachable. He's been been coached by some of the greats in the game at all of his stops. He, he he also comes from defensive programs. Like you talk about Spurs, even though how bad they are, they've got a pretty high mm-hmm. defensive rating, you know, and it's I think you look at coming from he played in Miami. I mean the guys he 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 comes from great NBA pedigree. Yeah, I remember Austin, it was Hilly. Yeah. It was him, yeah, that, uh, that they wouldn't make the Jimmy Butler trade for. That's what held up the Jimmy Butler trade forever, was that they didn't want to put Josh Richardson in the deal. So, yeah. I mean, he's he's got talent. He can do some things. He, he plays defense. He knows what he's doing. I think he could step in and instantly make a difference on your team. Sort of a, a rich man's Glenn Robinson the third, if you will. Um, and I will. Yeah, he, he he might be the seventh guy in the rotation. Like Malik has been struggling. Like I, I think that Josh uh, Richardson would be would be great for this team. Perimeter defense knocks down open shots. Yeah, I, I think that's a great target. Yeah, short term rental. Um, you know, and again, you're you're not going to have to give up a lot for him. Um, yeah, I think this is where we're talking about though. He's 29 years old. I think the the Kings are going to play on the fringe here. They're they're not gonna take the big swing. At least I don't think. Would, like, you, would, would you consider Would you consider that playing on the on the fringe? Him, Josh yeah. Richardson. You would. Yeah, I mean, I I think he like hmm. as far as like this is. I, I think why. what I'm. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I I kind of put him in the same thing as as Plumley. Like I still think that you're looking at like the back end of your rotation, eight, nine, ten men right for this team not that they're going to be that situation everywhere that they go but 
especially Plumlee. I think, you know, Plumlee can be a starter in the league still, but there are teams that are going to look at them. And, you know, if I'm, if I'm Charlotte, I'm trying to get the Kings and like the Denver Nuggets in a bidding war for, to see what I can get from Mason Plumlee. Um, because I, I think he fits both teams and what they do. And he fits as their backup to, you know, because they all have played basically, they play with that, that big, uh, that, passes and you know center of the universe guy um but i still think that you know he's a he's an expiring contract just like josh richardson yeah well and that's richardson's what i was talking about like i don't think i think like talent wise he i think it's bigger than a fringe move i think it's a i think it's a substantial move it's Mm -hmm. not it's not a it's not a home run but i think it's the type of talent they need to add um, it's a it's a poor man's version of the talent they should ultimately add, but for this season, for a type of playoff push, I give that a bigger than a, a fringe move. Okay, but you I'm guys like, have heard I, I've been preaching three and D guys for ever. Like I, you know, that's oh yeah, that's yeah. to me, you know, and he's not a long term fit. Maybe, but I don't think he's a long term fit. You need to be better in that position. But for what you are currently, that's why I give it a bigger boost than uh, like a fringe type of move. I would be okay with Josh Richardson and and Harrison Barnes both signing extensions or or coming back on on uh, extensions and and being a combo like the the three part of a a three forward rotation or a four forward rotation for the next couple of years. I mean they they both still have plenty of you know like legs underneath them. They're they're going to be in the league for a while. So I feel like a lot of guys on on this bench are somewhat one-dimensional or just heavily feature on one side of the ball like Davion obviously defensively but he has his offensive struggles I think Malik offensively defensively not so much Trey is maybe the closest um to playing both sides but I don't think he's an impact defender or anything like that like Richardson would be a guy that could do both and they really don't have many of those off the bench no it's true yeah I don't know it's interesting uh i'm down i'm down with it i I would like to see the kings be aggressive i would like to see them you know again i don't think there there's anything that says you can't go get a mason plumley and a josh richardson like you need to be active right now you've got a good team if you can bolster your core without damaging you know the chemistry of and culture that you're building then i think you you should really think long and hard about it You, you got an opportunity here to cement yourself as a three seed to possibly, you know, stay at host a home, uh, home court first round. If you stay in the top four, I mean, like you should be pushing to try to, to try to make this team better right now. And if there's a better deal that we don't see where it's a guy who's 25, 26 years old that, you know, you have more team control over. I'm okay there too, but like it's so the Kings can, you know, look at expiring guys. They can look at short-term rentals. That's that's the position they're in this year as opposed to any other year where they've never been, you know, looking at short-term rentals because why look at short-term rentals here just for the last 25 games of the year? That's typically when you hand the the game over to your young guys that you're trying to build um, on the backside. So It's one of the uh, more entertaining parts of the year for sure where apparently Mason Plumley takes a first-rounder, B.S., Apparently, Dorian Finney-Smith is available for a uh, for a star. Yeah, okay. The, the reporting this time of year is always fun. For a star, 
But see, <laughs> we even consider Dorian Finney-Smith a star. The reporting was that Dallas is willing to make him available for a star. I don't even consider him a star. How would you? No. Right. No. Who's no, trading I mean... a non-star for a star? Right. Like you can't even do that in two K. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, and and we're talking about again a twenty nine year old uh, who will be thirty in May, and Dorian Finney Smith, who's averaging eight point eight points per game, and shooting thirty four point six. I mean, basically, like you could star. make the argument whether he is better than Josh Richardson or not. Like, I, I think it's probably a toss up, and he's owed a lot of money thirteen point four next year, fourteen point four, and fifteen point four. I guess those aren't horrible numbers, and you could probably put him in a lineup where he's your starting three, um, just because he's a good defender and everything else. But boy, I like tough. him. He's just not. He's not a star. Let's not be. Let's not be silly. Yeah, yeah let's not be silly. All right, do uh, we have what, Brendan? Did you watch? Did you watch Life by Chance? I'm really waiting for that. I did not. I did not. Disrespectful. Brand- Apparently, I need Brand- to watch Rocky too. I don't know. You've never no, seen Rocky? No, you won't like it. <laughs> Trust me. I'm not I'm not going to steer you to a movie that you won't like. And I already know you won't like that. So don't don't waste your time. I don't know there's a murder mystery involved in it, Sean. It's <laughs> procedural. No. There's not, no, Brennan. He's not going to like it. <laughs> what did you watch? Anything? Have you watched anything, Brennan? Nothing. Basketball. <laughs> I saw The Fablemans. Fablemans is fantastic. Oh. Boy, it was good. Um, I tried to watch everything everywhere all at once. Is that what it's called? Don't don't say anything bad about it, James. I will hurt you. You haven't seen it yet, or no, you I have? It. No, it's fantastic. I I got I got about I think two thirds of the way through. You gotta you have to be paying attention really really closely the whole time, and it's all over the board. I don't love it. I it's also, called everything everywhere all at once. I guess it <laughs> it like it reminds me a little bit of like did you ever see Dirk Gently the uh with no. Elijah Wood he's a uh, a detective. No. Um like yeah it reminds me a little bit of that. It's just chaotic and all over the place and like strange and it it's going to take a second seating like uh, sitting to to get through it. I don't think okay. I could watch it all, which is unusual. Like usually I can watch, you know, the whole thing and you have to be in the right mood, like where you're fully engaged. And I don't know that I have that time until maybe the all-star break. Hmm. So I don't know. Um, do we have any final thoughts? Patrick Beverly bringing a camera over to the ref <laughs> is one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever seen. And LeBron's reaction, LeBron got fouled very clearly, right? I get why he's pissed, but his reaction of falling to his knees and headed the floor was just hilarious. On I, the Celtics that, court, by the way. Yes. Like that's an image that is not going away <laughs> ever of him being on his hands and knees. Like Chandler Parsons had something on the podcast and it went everywhere saying that his French bulldog could get run over by the mailman and he wouldn't react that way. And look, some people are taking it way too literally because that shit's funny. Like that is a funny, good for Chandler Parsons. Like that is funny just to bring attention to the moment. LeBron James, you are one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest. What are you doing acting like that? I mean, I get it. I I get it. But I, I think it's funny though that he, the the comment after like that doesn't happen to any other team like Kings are like hold my beer <laughs> like come on man you remember a couple of years ago where the Kings were up by one in the final like five seconds 
LeBron James bull rushed Harrison Barnes, elbowed him to the ground, knocked him to the ground, and got a foul call, hit the two free throws, and they the Kings lost by one point on the pair of free throws. And then the NBA came back the next day in the last two minutes and apologized for that it was it should have been an offensive foul and the Kings would have won the game. Harrison Barnes goes to the free throw line with barely any time left and should have uh, like had that opportunity. Like the last two minute report is what it is. It's an acknowledgement of a mistake. Sure. I get it. And some people hate seeing the whatever and they're used to hold, whether they make them public or not, they used to hold those officials accountable. The league uses those. They're just making it public, making it public. But what I don't get is, why does the NBA board of referees come out and apologize when LeBron James does it, but they won't do it for any other f- team? I almost cursed. They almost do. They don't do it for any other team like that. It's just insane to me. It, it, it was the wording is distant. crazy. The wording is crazy. It's quote: "This play will weigh heavily and cause sleepless nights." Like what's the what apology for the most pathetic pandering to <laughs> like, a player yeah, that I've like, ever seen? I, I also don't like look. I, Respect to LeBron. I don't want to take anything away from him, and there is a butt coming. But I don't like when he plays the victim. Are, who? Do you, who are you, when are you the victim of anything? Come on. You know what I you thought know? he looked like? Um, and child? I talked about this on D'Lo and Casey yesterday, and they had no idea what I was talking about, but you'll get it. It's the scene from Platoon where they leave Willem Dafoe behind <laughs> in the helicopter. Tom oh, Berenger screws him over. And leaves him behind. You know what I'm talking about, right, Sean? Where he's got his hands I, I in do. the air yes, and he's reaching for the helicopter. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Hey, LeBron, get off your ass. I mean, seriously, let's stop crying. You know how many games this season? Like someone did a, a graphic on it. How many times, how many uh, missed calls in the last two-minute report? And there, it's like 34 missed calls in Kings games and 13 went in favor of the Kings. The other 21 went in favor of the other team. Where like, is the apology for the McDaniels travel last night uh, in Minnesota? That to me was, I mean, look, Sean, yeah, LeBron, you got fouled. We get it, but I'm looking at the last two minute report. It's not there. So I, I, it's well, not there. Did he put the ball down in time? No. Okay. That's it. Like how Part much time is unsure. left? How much it's time not is on left? There? Turnover traveling. At correct no call, McDaniels establishes his left foot as a pivot foot and legally lifts his right foot. That it's it's on here as a correct no call. They said he did gotcha. not travel. I thought that was terrible. Erroneous. Uh, Erroneous. Yeah, man. Clearly, I don't have what it takes to be an official. That's fine. Well, it's you know why? Because you don't have empathy for LeBron James. You can't. Whole, you can't put out a press release. You can't put out a press release, Sean, that apologizes. That's just not you. Like, that's uh-huh. what makes you not be an NBA official at this point. Uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, okay, so that was final thoughts. Do we have any other final thoughts? Sean, do you have anything? D'Amico Ryans took the job uh, with the 49ers. Oh, with the, was, uh, the Texans. Or, yeah, with the Texans. The 40- yeah, I'm all over the place right now. I need a nap. Uh, yes, uh, to the Texans. But, you know, what's crazy is like, now Kyle Shanahan gets to go out and try and find another defensive coordinator again, but that's uh, that's what's supposed to happen. So, as far as uh, Kings go, I didn't. I don't think I said. I think they're going to go. Uh, how much games are left? They're five. Yeah, I think they'll go five and two on this trip. Because since I never gave an answer, that's my okay. final thought. 
That's what I think too. And check out Fablemans. It's a really good movie. And it's yeah. uh, kind of autobiographical of uh, Steven Spielberg. Yeah. Would I like uh <laughs> Steven Spielberg we'll see how way, this gets is, taken. A, is a director that is uh, I, I know the name okay. vaguely. Sorry, buddy. Go ahead. Uh Normally, my girlfriend's on my side with me about these movie things, but we were scrolling through things the other day, and she came to realize I've never seen The Breakfast Club. Oh, God damn it, Brendan. Well, no, he's not going to like that movie. That was my question. Would I? It's too old. It's no, too, it, it you should. Be... You, have you seen the other any of the other John Hughes movies? No, have you seen Pretty in Pink? I've have you ne- seen... I've never heard that name. <laughs> you, like... Here's why you should probably watch it, Brendan, because you live in Sacramento, and, and Molly Ringwald is from Sacramento, so... Um... Yeah, he doesn't know who Molly Ringwald is. Molly Ringwald was an actor, main actress in that movie. Pretty in Pink, Pretty in Pink as well, and uh, she's hasn't really done much lately. But uh, have you seen Lady Bird? No, but I know it's recorded in Sac, right? Well, and takes place in Sac. Yeah, it's like a love letter to Sacramento. The director and writer is from Sacramento. It's Greta Gerwig. You should watch that. Yeah, Timothy Chalamet's in it. Yes, you need to watch Breakfast Club. And you I'm need watching, to watch you, Ferris watch, Bueller's Day Off. And you need to watch, watch Lady 16 Bird. Candles. Watch Lady Bird before those because I think you will like Lady Bird. I think the other ones are too old for you to like. No. And, uh, you got to watch Weird not, Science. And they're not, let's be honest, they're not great movies, James. They're oh, they're good all movies. phenomenal. They're, part, they're, they're, they're not phenomenal. phenomenal. They're phenomenal. My boys Weird watch Science them is not a four-star movie, sir. Weird Science. Come on, man. No, no. Although. Got the great Bill in, Paxton in it. R.I.P. That's Chet. 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 You ever yeah. was there ever been a hero named Chet like in any movie? No, never. No. It's a terrible name. Sorry it to disrespect the Chet. Sorry, the world, but there with if you're named Chet. Chet, you're doomed for failure. You're not going to be. No Whoa. Pulitzer Prize Whoa. winner was ever named Chet. Chet Holmgren is that guy. The uh, best Chet I can think about is Chet Lemon, the Tigers player, baseball. Oh, Home, all right. Yeah, yeah. Chet Lemon. Home, he no, played we don't on know the... yet. He's hurt. He, yeah. You know why? Because his name's Chet. <laughs> there we go. He was on that team with Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell. And, yeah, yeah, man. Kurt Gibson. Chet. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So no, I think life isn't too old. You'll like that one. Oh, man. Uh, He's got to watch all those other movies. That, that just has to happen. He won't like them, James. <sighs> Come on, Look Brendan. at his eyes. He's like, what do you mean? Come on. <laughs> all right. I'm on your side, Brendan. That's going to do it for this episode of the King's Beat Podcast. If you're still watching while we're arguing over whether Brennan should watch John Hughes movies or not, uh, give us a thumbs up if you're watching on YouTube. Uh, Subscribe if you're new to the channel. Um, Also, uh, join us for the Off the Record with the King's Beat Virtual Happy Hour Part 11, The Columnist, with Aileen Voisson on Thursday from 5.30 to 7.30. It's going to be an absolute hoot. You are not allowed to record them. Oh, I'm sorry, what? A hoot. Give a hoot, don't pollute. Yep. It's going to be a good time. Uh, and there will be drinking. So things happen. Uh, I'm sure there might be some DeMarcus Cousins stories. I'm just saying. I'm, uh, I have a feeling that there's going to be some DeMarcus Cousins stories. Uh, but definitely a uh, an intriguing, intriguing guest on the happy hour. And if you're going to miss this one, uh, you're going to regret it. So, um we get these two guys. Uh, they will be there, uh, hopefully. Uh, but uh, if not, it'll be a good time. Um, so for Fox 40, Sean Cunningham and Brenda Nunez from the King's Pulse Podcast, I am James Ham, King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. 
We'll see you next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.